6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program.
ורחמן, משוך עבדך אל רצונך. ירוץ עבדך כמו אייל, ישתחווה אל מול הדריך. ירב לו ידידותיך מנופל צוף וכל טעם. הדור נאה זיו העולם, נפשי חולת אהבתך. אהנה כאלנה, הוי רפאנה לה, להראות לה נועם זיווך. אז תתחזק ותתרפא, והייתה לה שמחת עולם. ותיק, ותיק, ימון הרחמך, וחוסנה על בין אהוביך. כמה נכסוף נכספתי לראות מהרה בתפארת עוזך. אלך חמדה, חמדה ליבי, וחוסנה, ואל תתעלם. היגאלה, היגאלנה. ופרוס חביבי עליי את סוכת, את סוכת שלומך. תאיר ארץ מכבודך, נגילה ונשמחה בך. ומועד וחוננו כימי עולם וחוננו כימי עולם Friday night, every Friday night, I 
Mit eurer Hafeifu, 
the she
As we sit around the campfire at this time of the year, let's reflect on the 12,000 peers of Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva and remember how careful we have to be with this cloud. Yeah.
It's Friday, Erev Shabbos, and uh, that's um, a selection from Yerach Begun, the Miami Boys Choir, via Hafta. Anam Zmirot from Leif Dahar, you heard Ka'echso from Lechad Odi. I Got My Shabbos was done by Schlockrock. Yosef Karduners, you did Nefesh. Curry Bone, that was Bitachon. Losevoshi before that, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this uh, May the 13th, the 12th of ER. Today is day number 27 in the counting of the Omer. That's three weeks and six days. You forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. Pesach Sheni is tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow night and Sunday is Pesach Sheni in our tradition. Um, the makeup Pesach, if you will, <laughs> for those of you familiar with it, if you're not familiar, speak to your local rabbi. Thursday's Lag Bomer, and we finally get back into our regular format, which I think a lot of people are looking forward to. Someone stopped me on the street yesterday and said, very much looking forward to getting back to the regular format. Yeah, I get that. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas MR, at least outside of Israel. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas MR. We're still 
a Parsha off with everybody in Israel. Candle lighting in New York, 744. We'll call it for 744. Make sure you know when things start where you are. A lot of synagogues begin early. A lot of synagogues begin at different times around the world to make sure you know when things start where you are. We're calling official candle lighting time here for 744. JM in the AM, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll uh, explore one of the weekend events going on uh, with our friends at Nefesh Benefesh. Very different now that we're in a uh, COVID slash post-COVID era. Very different than the, than the in-person uh, uh, events that we were used to. We'll explain all that going on or coming up here at JM and the AM. Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin will both speak about Parsha's MR. Malcolm Holmline will join us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll have the weekly update for us at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM and the AM. A reminder that our friends at Art Scroll have a massive set sale going on right now at 26% off all the sets. If you go to artscroll.com, go to artscroll.com. 26% off. Remember, use your promo code radio for your free shipping and your major discount. When you go to artscroll.com and you order anything, the rule is, and it's a good rule, always use promo code radio. Always use promo code radio at artscroll.com. And that big sale is going on as we speak. And a special thank you to our friends at A&H as we get closer and closer to the official grilling season. Make sure you have all the hot dogs you need to kick off a uh, wonderful grilling season and have a fantastic summer of delicious meat items, including their unbelievable hot dogs. Go to kosherdogs.net. Go to kosherdogs.net. Enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio and try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. And a special salute to our friends at Abel's and Hyman from all of us here at JM in the AM. More coming up. We're at hour number one on a Friday era of Shabbos at JM in the AM. Even I
Sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the Nachumsegel.com and the Nachumsegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Nigun Hisvados, before that, the Friedman family with Curry Bone. Miami had the Hafta. Top of the hour, JM and the AM will explore our Nefesh Benefesh uh, weekend. We'll explain what that's all about coming up, <laughs> or at least someday. I don't know if weekend would be appropriate. Uh, we'll explain all that coming up in the next few minutes. Harry Rothenberg is going to join us. Parsha's MR. Rabbi Yudin, of course. Parsha's MR. Malcolm Holmlong with our uh, weekly update coming up. Day 27 in the counting of the Omer. Forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. 
גלייצל, Israel Army Radio, 2PM Newscast, next at JMDM. גלייצל, השעה 2, באולפן ערן קורצי, מה שקורה עכשיו. סוכנות הידיעות של איחוד האמירויות מוסרת שמת נשיא האיחוד חליפה בן זייד, אחיו של יורש העצר מוחמד בן זייד. הנשיא היה בן 73 במותו. כתבנו לענייני ערבים ג'קי חוגי מוסיף שהנשיא חליפה היה חולה שנים רבות ויורש העצר שימש כשליט בפועל של הנסיכות. ממלכתו צפוי יורש העצר מוחמד בן זייד להתמנות רשמית לתפקיד הנשיא. של עיתונאית אלג'זירה שירין אבו אקלה. ממסקנות הביניים של תחקיר צה"ל עולה שלא ניתן לקבוע מה מקור הירי שהרג את העיתונאית. כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש מוסר כי על פי התחקיר קיימות שתי אפשרויות. אחת שנפגעה מירי של לוחם צה"ל שהשיב באש לעבר מחבל שירד צרורות אל הכוח ואבו אקלה עמדה סמוך אליו. האפשרות השנייה היא שהעיתונאית נפגעה מירי חסר הבחנה של החמושים הפלסטינים שירו מאות כדורים ממספר מוקדים בין היתר גם לכיוון בו שעתה. בצה"ל אומרים כי קבלת הקליע לבדיקה בליסטית עשויה להכריע בין האפשרויות אך פלסטינים לא נענו לבקשה לקיים תחקיר משותף או להעביר את הקליע. הרמטכ"ל אביב כוכבי הנחה להמשיך ולפעול לבירור האירוע. ובתוך כך, מסע ההלוויה של שירין אבו אקלה צפוי להתחיל בעוד כשעה בבית הקברות הנוצרי בהר ציון. אלפים עתידים להגיע לאירוע והמשטרה נערכת בכוחות מתוגברים. בעוד שוטרים כבר מוצבים באזור במעגלים גלויים וסמויים כחלק מההיערכות להפרות סדר. כתבתנו בבירה יערה אברהם מזכירה כי מאז מותה של כתבת אלג'זירה החלו עימותים אלימים בשכונת בית חנינה בירושלים, שם התגוררה העיתונאית. צה"ל, שב"כ והימ"מ פעלו בשעות האחרונות במחנה הפליטים ג'נין ועצרו מבוקש לאחר שכיתרו את ביתו. הכוחות הפעילו נוהל סיר לחץ על ביתו של המבוקש מחמוד א-דבאי, פעיל ג'יהאד איסלאמי בג'נין. רק לאחר מספר שעות של לחץ כבד וירי טילי נ"ט על הבית הוא נעצר ונלקח לחקירה בשב"כ. לפני כשעה הכוחות סיימו את פעילותם במחנה הפליטים ובכפר בורקין לאחר חילופי אש עם מחבלים פלסטינים. בלשכת ראש הממשלה, היועצת המדינית של בנט שמרית מאיר הודיעה לפני זמן קצר על עזיבתה ברקע המחלוקות העזות בינה לבין ראש הסגל ומזכיר הממשלה. במכתב שהעבירה לראש הממשלה כתבה מאיר, שורת המשימות הארוכה שהוטלה עלי חייבה הקרבה ניכרת בחיי האישיים. בנט השיב כי קיבל את בקשתה לעזוב בצער אך בהבנה. ידיעה שהעבירה כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג. מיליארדר אילון מאסק הודיע כי העסקה לרכישת טוויטר מוקפאת זמנית עד לחישוב כל החשבונות המזויפים ובדיקה שהם אכן מהווים פחות מחמישה אחוזים מכלל המשתמשים. כתבתנו לענייני טכנולוגיה עומר עזרן מציינת כי מניות טוויטר צנחו ב-11 אחוזים במסחר המקדים בוול סטריט. מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עם עלייה בטמפרטורות בהרים ובפנים הארץ בשבת יעשה שרבי ברוב האזורים. אלה החדשות.
Salam from Kol Zimra. Dudi Kalish and Kavodo before that. You heard Menucha Vesimcha done by Bitachon. Erev Shabbos Parshas Emar outside of Israel. Candle lighting at 744 in New York. It's day 27 in the counting of the Omer. Three weeks and six days. It's day 27. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Harry Rothenberg is going to speak with us about Parsha's MR and plenty more coming up after that if you keep it at JM in the AM. At the very end of the Parsha, we read the troubling story of the blasphemer. Here's the background. Back in Egypt, there was one time when there was an intimate relationship between an Egyptian and a Jew, and it was a forced one. One of the Egyptian slave masters violated a Jewish woman, and they had a son as a result. Now fast forward, they're in the wilderness. Each one of the tribes has its own camp, this fellow goes to pitch his tent in the camp of Dan, Dun. Why? Because that's the tribe his mother was from. The other members of the tribe of Dan object. They say, look, we're very sorry, but it goes by the father. Your father was an Egyptian. You don't belong here. They have a court case. The fellow loses, and he goes out in a moment of tremendous anger and curses God. Unforgivable sin. The question is, tribe of Dan, what is up? You're in the wilderness. There's an endless amount of space. What is the big deal if one extra dude pitches one extra tent in your camp? And one commentator explains that they were worried about this fellow, this son of an Egyptian man. They were worried that he might be a bad influence. And they were right. You see, retroactively, he cursed God. Now, people get very upset when they lose lawsuits. I can tell you that. I've seen it. But still, you can be upset, but you don't curse God. So we see from here that one person can poison 
an entire camp or neighborhood or school or bunk or classroom. So we've got to be very careful. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to hermetically seal ourselves and our children inside and make sure there are no outside influences whatsoever. We have an obligation to share and open our homes and to give our time and share our wealth with those less fortunate. But we do have to be careful. We have to be mindful and always watch out for bad influences. And there's one time when we have to be particularly careful. There's a story told in Pirkeavos, Ethics of the Fathers, of a great sage who was traveling on the way from one place to another, and he was stopped by a stranger. He said to him, where are you from? He said, oh, I come from a city of great sages and scholars. The stranger says to the rabbi, really? If you'll move to our town, I will pay you a fortune, a king's ransom. And the rabbi says, for all the wealth in the world, I won't do it. I'll only live in a place of Torah. Why in that story do we need to be told that the rabbi was traveling on the way? Just say, there was a rabbi, he got this incredible offer to leave his place of Torah to go to a place that didn't have a Torah framework. And he said no. So one commentator explains, that detail is very important. It's telling us that you have to be extra careful when you're traveling. When you're in your home, you have control over the environment. You can control what comes in. Yes, the internet is a big problem, but you can filter it. You should filter it. When you're on the road, far less control. You don't know who you're going to be sitting next to on the bus or the train or the plane. So when you're traveling from point A to point B, be extra careful. My thanks to Harry Rothenberg. His um, uh, his uh, presentation regarding Parshas Emor here at JM and the AM. Well, I told you we're going to be exploring what's happening with Nefesh Benefesh this weekend. Uh, the, um, the mega event, the virtual mega event, it, it used to be a, an in-person mega event that was truly, uh, mega in the way it looked live and in person because of the thousands of people who would be there and all the people gathered together to get information about, uh, heading to Israel from North America. Now it's turned into a virtual mega event and Sarah Cantor, the, uh, director of, uh, Aliyah Programming, of Nefesh Benefesh is with us live via telephone. Sarah, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, pleasure. So this was uh, this was something that made quite an impression on uh, so many people here in North America, especially the New York, New Jersey area for years. The mega event that would be uh, really an, uh, an unbelievable uh, opportunity for people to come and find out everything they needed to know about making Aliyah and do so with thousands of others who are gathered around them. Uh, then, of course, the pandemic hits and this mega event becomes a virtual mega event. And I guess in a way, would you say it affords people uh, e- even more? more opportunities than uh, the way it was conducted in the old days? So I think it really does, but on a number of different levels. So what we're seeing now is that we have people from, I think registration right now, we have people from 40 different states throughout the United States and five or six different provinces have all registered to come. So we're seeing that it has become much more accessible. (laughs) You don't have to be in the New York, New Jersey area to get this information. And then the other thing that we're seeing at the same time is that people people are maybe not so inclined to want to go into a room with a thousand people. Right. Even if the pandemic has, uh, has progressed. Yeah. Um, and people really actually like the fact that the 
sessions are recorded. They can watch them on their own time. They can come live and watch them and ask personal questions and we'll get answers on the spot. But, you know, if, you know, a kid gets sick or something happens and you, and you're unable to make it, you still have access to all the information. Yeah. Uh, well, whether this turns into a regular mega event again will be interesting to see. It's not our topic for today, but right now it is a virtual mega event that starts at 12 noon Eastern time this coming Sunday. Uh, the virtual Aliyah mega event information at nbn.org.il. You'll see the banner right at the top of the page. You can register and to get ready for a very important Sunday, especially for those who are serious about moving to Israel. You're going to cover a wide range of topics. Can you tell us some of the topics that people will be educated about starting at noon Eastern time on Sunday? Um, sure. So there's all the regular, your all your rights and benefits, finding a community, learning about taxes, um, health care, the regular, uh, really, really talkless OEA information will be available to everybody starting at 12. Um, and actually, concurrently, we're working with the Israeli Innovation Authority to have specific job-related booths open. Um, and that has been one of the other, I guess, silver linings of corona for us is really that we have Israeli employers who are ready to start talking to people before they even get on the plane. Um, and so we have some pretty impressive employers who will be concurrently opening, sitting at booths where people can come and speak to them as well. All right, and that's and that is, uh, I mean, that's literally happening online. People need to understand that if they want to speak to someone live about the possibility of certain jobs and certain careers in Israel, they'll be able to do that with somebody online in a conversation on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. And we're talking companies like Microsoft and Intel will have representatives there. Um, you know, they're really ready that the English language skills that our OEM come with are so in demand right now that it's it's really impressive to see that they can get their employment off onto a good footing even before they got onto a plane. Sarah Cantor's with us, Nevesh Benefesh. Sunday is the uh, Aliyah Expo and Innovation IL Job Fair. It's a virtual mega event that's happening, and of course, information at nbn.org.il if you've ever been serious about uh, heading to Israel and making it a permanent move. This is uh, a very important virtual mega event for you. Um, so make sure to uh, check it out this coming Sunday. I assume you just register online on the website? Yep, you register online and you'll get a link to get in. And uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty easy. Yeah, I can imagine. With 40 states being represented, I really can't, <laughs> I can't see how you could ever reach more people than this. All right, so um, uh, we, of course, spoke at the beginning of the pandemic about the... Um, I wouldn't say surprise, but the the uh, interesting development at that time that there were people picking up uh, or dropping everything and moving to Israel, um, whether it was career change or just you know a, a, a complete employment shift because of what was going on uh, during the pandemic or other factors as well. People just wanted to actually be in Israel. One of the only ways to do so was to actually make Aliyah. What do we see now two years later? Are you getting the impression that this wave continues, that this spirit of Aliyah from North America? America, uh, is as strong as it's been over the last couple of years? How would you describe it? Um, we're definitely feeling that it's continuing. Um, people are still reaching out to us in, in record numbers and, and, you know, filling out applications and, and trying to move the process along. I think the employment thing has actually helped. I think there was, a, I mean, I don't know if it's a permanent shift, but we still feel that there's a lot of people who are able to do their jobs online. Right. Um, that in-person office situation is no longer what it was pre-pandemic. 
I'm not sure if it's going to change, but as long as people feel like they have that uh, cushioning of being able to keep their jobs or upgrade when they come to Israel because the Israeli job market is booming right now, um, we're still feeling it. We're still feeling a lot of people with that desire, with that urge to get onto a plane and come. Pretty unbelievable. Uh, by the way, we should mention the virtual mega event is really for everybody, meaning families, singles, those who are considering spending some time in the Israeli army, right? I mean, everybody, no matter what their goal might be in terms of how their aliyah looks, they are. Uh, uh, it's to their advantage to be part of the virtual mega event this coming Sunday. Well, absolutely. There's really something for everybody. Um, people who are coming this summer will get information about what to expect when they get off the plane. And people who are planning their Aliyah, you know, two, three years down the line are going to find out about what steps they can take now to make sure that they're successful when the time comes. And those who um, uh, who want to plan their Aliyah under the cover of darkness because they're not ready yet to tell, <laughs> to tell their family or their employer about the possibility of them moving, uh, this is actually advantageous for them instead. Instead of trying to hide, absolutely. Instead of trying to hide, this is cloak of darkness. Oh yeah, say that again. (laughs) Instead of trying to hide in a big conference hall or a convention center, uh, they just have to register online, and only you guys will know that they're there. Uh, Nevish Benefish Virtual Mega Event Dalia Expo and Innovation IL Job Fair happens this coming Sunday. You don't have to be just uh, you don't have to be in the New York New Jersey area. Everybody, you can be anywhere and register and participate. It happens between noon and six. The Innovation IL Job Fair happens between noon and 2.30, both of those Eastern time, and you can register now and be part of the mega event virtually online at nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il, if you've ever considered anything having to do with Aliyah and your family's future in the state of Israel, this is a golden opportunity to check it out and be part of it. Again, it's this coming Sunday, starting at 12 noon Eastern time, nbn.org. Il Sarah Cantor heads uh, Aliyah programming. Well, good luck on Sunday. It sounds like you're going to be uh, uh, reaching out and hearing from a tremendous number of people, and hopefully this will turn into uh, an amazing result with a lot of people moving to the state of Israel. Amen. Exactly. And Thank best, you very much. And best regards to our friends at Nefesh Benefesh. And more coming up. You're listening to a uh, Friday morning Erev Shabbos edition here of JM and the AM. Malcolm Homeline weekly update starts at 7.40 a.m. Eastern time. It's coming up a few minutes from now. And uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, on Parsha's MR. I know. We're a Parsha all from Israel. I know. Believe me, I know. Uh, but Parsha's MR, because that's what we read in the diaspora, uh, he'll speak to us about that and plenty more coming up if you keep it at JM in the AM.
with Curry Bone here at JM in the AM. We'll hear more from them in a moment. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more, old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more, and modern better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net and try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. And with grilling season coming up, make sure you have plenty of A&H hot dogs at the ready. Uh, our friends at Art Scroll have an incredible set sale going on. 26% off on all sets between now and the end of May. Artscroll.com is where you want to go. Artscroll.com, a tremendous number of sets for sale now in their big set sale at 26% off. Remember, to get your discount and your free shipping, make sure to use promo code radio. Artscroll.com, Artscroll.com, make sure to use promo code radio. Artscroll.com, Artscroll.com, make sure to use promo code radio. You know the rule. Whenever you go to Artscroll.com, always use promo code radio. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Got a, um, got a very interesting uh, note last night from listener Sina. <laughs> She says, good morning in Erev Shabbos. 
Uh, I'm sure some people wonder just when this listener Cena business, or just what this listener Cena business is all about and how old the Eisenman Siegel friendship really is. Well, here's the answer. After our family spent Pesach 2004, wow, I can't believe it's that long ago, 2004 together, you give a huge shout out to the crown, the staff, and especially to Ira of blessed memory. About six weeks later, you made the very first Eisenman announcement on the air. I'd sent it to you for Friday, May the 14th, but you were away and it didn't hit the airwaves until Wednesday, May the 19th. I know this because I went back and checked the archives. Wow. With this history in mind, double Mazel Tov going out to my very special, positively amazing Muncie twins, Yisrael Yosef Avigdor and Chaya Shandel Altman, who are 18 years old today. Wow. Uh, Yassi and CS, it's been a wonderful journey so far, and I can't wait to see you all, to see all you're going to accomplish in the future. I love you to the moon and back, and Shep continues nachas from you every single day. May Hashem continue to shower you with bracha, natzlacha, always. Happy, happy birthday with much love from Bubby, Florida, who, of course, is also known as Bubs, but we know her as listener Cena, who just gave us a piece of NSN history here at JM in the AM. More coming up, including the weekly update with Malcolm Holmline, if you keep it here at JM in the AM. I don't Let 
And the Chevra had that been Komcha, Kol Ish, with Vaha'er and Adon Olam. 
Uh, remember that our friends at JewishWorldReview.com have uh, thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world that are uh, prime and ready for you to print out before Shabbos and uh, and study all Shabbos and all weekend long if you wish. Go to JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com. Again, thousands of articles and an amazing opportunity to catch up on what's happening in, in Israel and the Jewish world. Go to JewishWorldReview.com and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays at this time with the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Appreciate that. Who's responsible for the uh, for the killing of the Al Jazeera journalist? Well, I guess with something that will be determined, it, uh, the, the speculation varies, it goes back and forth, and there's so many people who would love to pin it on Israel. And, uh, you know, it's a war zone at the time, a conflict zone. Uh, it's not unusual. There have been many Al Jazeera reporters killed in such situations, and yet you don't see the kind of hyper-focus on it. This is somebody, I mean, it's it's obviously um, not something anybody rejoices in or, or wants to see happen, uh, but there were, the Palestinians were firing, firing just at random, and the possibility that it could have been a, a soldier uh, who was responding to, to the fire, or it could have been and more likely, according to the Prime Minister still, that a Palestinian bullet uh, killed her. And you saw that they were yelling, we, we shot a soldier because she was wearing a flak jacket and a helmet. So we'll have to wait till the investigation uh, finishes. But the harsh reaction and the immediate condemnations that came really just point up again the the double standard uh some of the damage and i don't mean i mean it's terrible that somebody was killed but in addition to that the damage that's being done to israel is already done meaning that if this episode is going to be used or if they want to use it as incitement against israel incitement against jews and increase in terror attacks i mean it's out there already you know the the public perception it seems you know before any investigation uh, um, results are released has already been determined the the incitement has uh, was launched immediately. The fact that the Palestinian Authority refuses to cooperate in the investigation that uh, they couldn't draw a conclusion. I believe if they could have, they certainly would have. They drew conclusions and made statements in other ways to indicate that they think that Israel did it or Israelis responsible for it. But uh, the fact that they won't cooperate should raise questions with people. Uh, and I think um, uh, underscores the fact that they're not really anxious to get to the truth. And if in fact it's true that Israeli intelligence has already determined or investigative um, personnel has already determined that that the type of bullet or the type of um, uh, of um, a weapon that killed her, you know, could not have come from an IDF member. Why are they not out there in a much stronger fashion? Um, a, a state because both sides use the same kind of bullets. And they have not been able to determine yet the origin uh, of the fire uh, shooting, and that the bullets itself does not uh, is not determined as you see sometimes in the whodunits where you know they know they can trace the bullet and the markings and stuff so far. And it, I always think that there's a um, that there's a desire. Um, let me know if I'm right. The desire among the Israeli administration.
penetration to the truth. And I say it that way because one that that they're looking to to publicize the truth, and if the apology is necessary, they'll make sure to go ahead and do that. Is there any reason to think otherwise in this case? No, I think that Israel's facing it. Honestly, if they do all such situations, it's to their credibility and their and and also that they not take the blame for something they're not responsible for. Although, as you know, it doesn't matter. The world condemned them. The world, even the administration statements were very harsh. They didn't specifically blame Israel, but called Israel for investigations and stuff. And the immediate reaction: uh, she was an American citizen, also. So, I guess that. Uh, uh, and and people seem to know her, so all of those factors contributed to it. But it's it's Israel's um, self examination and history of doing so in worse situations, complex situations where other countries would never think of doing it, uh, and uh, is is stands in for public scrutiny all the time. Yeah, and frankly, the Israeli media is always on top of that. Like it, it seems in case no, the first to criticize Israel, right? Usually, most of the Israeli media is, is the worst critics. Which, which sometimes I think that they're you know they're afraid to, uh, to you know to release too many statements or to um, uh, you know speak too much about the episode because their own media uh, may take it and, and spin it a certain way. But the truth is that again, uh, I, I, I mean, I, no reason to doubt what you're saying in terms of sincerity of the Israelis to get to the truth and release the uh, the, the truth. And if an apology is necessary, it's necessary. But I think the Israeli media on top of that just sits on top of Israeli officials until they get an answer not necessarily the answer they want or they like but until an answer is determined and I think that that sometimes makes officials very very nervous um, I that's true yeah um, so this is now part of a, a an entire uh, wave of terror that's going on we spoke about this last week of course uh, we know what happened in Al-Ad we discussed it last Friday one of the things that, that I noticed this week um, that I don't think is is that common, or maybe it's just not reported uh, as often as it was this week, is the number of people who are corroborators and cooperators with terrorists that are also arrested. There was a pretty significant number of people who were accused of um, uh, uh, cooperating with the Elad terrorists. Uh, you know. Who've been uh, who've been taken in? Who've been arrested? Accused and 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 arrested for cooperating with terrorists? Where they're part of a cell, uh, I don't think most are lone operatives, even if they don't belong to a particular organization. But when you find a pattern and, and something that in an incident that is uh, not random, but about something long planned and had to be coordinated and different people involved and they're able to trace it, then yes. And often you don't see it because it takes place afterwards. It can take place a week, a month uh-huh. after the incident where they're able to uh, find people that were involved. Often it's family members because they knew the attack was going to take place. There are, uh, you know, during the recent wave, there were Arab parents who called the police to alert them to, to their own its intention because uh, they wanted they wanted to prevent the death of the kid in, a, in an incident um, and I think that the the, um, the police in each case tried to look if in and it's true here too whereas too often people say it's a lone wolf operation well in fact there's an incitement there's it could be an, an imam it could be uh, social media it could be in a school to be friends there's so many sources 
of where the incitement can come from. And on the other hand, it can come from an individual who decides at some point to answer the call and to carry out this kind of vicious attack. Is it um, uh, did, did, did the Israeli army uh, and intelligence officials make an extra effort here because of the wave of terror, meaning that they, they know they, they know this has got to be uh, affecting the collective Israeli psyche um, as all this is going yeah, I can only imagine, um, especially because now they're coming into areas where you never quote unquote expect them. Um, is this now, you know, one of the ways that Israeli officials are trying to calm people down by showing just how many are being arrested and that they're going into, you know, into the circles that are, you know, that, that are affected by the ripple effect of the terror attack in order to find people who might be inciting? I think it shows that the, the commitment to the government and the police to try to apprehend all those involved. There is, uh, as you said rightly, um, an impact, a ripple impact in the society as a whole where people are more concerned about leaving, going out at night, other things um, till, till this thing is, is stopped. Uh, it's very hard to do that. You know how integrated the Arab Israeli population is, let alone also the people who cross over from East Jerusalem and, and um, many other places. But, you know, the, there's no way to, to hermetically seal it. They're, they're closing some of the gaps in the border where people crossed and, and have come through illegally to, to work in Israel. And like the people in Elad, they work there. There were people there. They, they used to come there to work. And to, they knew the people, they knew the layout of the land, and that was true in many of the other incidents, too, that uh, it was territory they were familiar with. Uh, so the closing of the of the gaps in the border, which, which the government was well aware of and people knew, but sometimes uh, they closed the, an eye because they needed the labor, and people said we, they knew these people. Uh, so that it's, it's uh, very difficult and it, it underscores the need for human intelligence that with all the other surveillance and things that we have, human intelligence is still critical and why a physical presence on the ground is so critical. Uh, when people just blithely talk about, you know, withdrawing police or withdrawing forces from uh, areas, then you lose that capacity. I hear that, but the, the and also everybody's fair game now. I know it's always been the case that the enemy, uh, you know, couldn't care less who they're attacking. But the way they're they are going after the army, the way they're going after police officials, first responders, etc. I mean, it's just it's just a, 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 a it's like um, you know it's a, it's an effort to uh, it's complete chaos. <laughs> you never know you never know how they're going to act or how they're going to react or what type of crowd they're going to attract that'll join in in the attack. It's it's just a it, it, it just seems to be much more out of hand than usual. Well, because you've had a, a sharp increase in the number of cases of late, and there's been there was a long period of quiet. People get accustomed to it, and you know this disrupts. Even though it affects such a small percentage that you, and most people don't even know these attacks. You know they take place in an isolated place, an incident. Uh, it's not the whole country. You know gets is under attack, but today it can happen anywhere in the country. And that is even more disconcerting to people. And, you know, they're looking for a solution and not seeing is there, a, is there something that can be done short of trying to seal the country more or, or you know, losing the labor or doing whatever else uh, others deem necessary. You know, last week I asked you about the, um, uh, the Arab parties that are still part of the government. And um, 
uh, you know, they do it with the same reason that they claim they did it when they f- originally joined in with the government, was that it's better for the uh, for the Arabs if they're, you know, represented in government, etc. Uh, but now I wonder a week later, and we, and we discussed last week, you know, whether it, this ties the hands of the prime minister because as part of his coalition is an Arab, an Arab party and a pretty outspoken Arab leader. Uh, but I wonder now if, you know, after this announcement by Rahm this week that they're staying in the government, now that they've solidified their position, you know, a week later, I, I wonder if, if, if there's some thought uh, going on in the back of their minds that as long as we stay part of this coalition, it allows... Uh, it allows the the people who would like to participate in terror attacks, you know, it gives them more leeway. They're more able to do so because, again, the prime minister's hands are somewhat tied politically. Do you think there's anything to that? I don't think that that's the motivation to behind Rahm. I think the financial incentives are very great, and the fact that nobody wants to go to an election because they will not be as strong in another election as they are today, by the way, it applies not just to the Arab parties, to the Jewish parties as well. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, there always can be considerations, those as you suggest, but I think the motivation for, for them is purely internal politics and financial. It's very interesting. Uh, if there was, a, and, and, <laughs> Someone, I don't know if it's an unfair question or what, but do you get the impression that there was a different prime minister or one uh, with with other tact? I'm not calling for BB to come back. I'm, not, I'm just saying that you know I'm trying to determine to what degree the prime minister can be blamed for all of this. Do you think if there was different leadership, it might be different? Look, I think Bennett has has tried to assert this issue and taken a clear stand and waffle on it, uh, but. Um, you know, the overall style of leadership and, and the confidence people have is always affected by what's at the top and the stability of the governments that um, that are, are in power. Uh, but but the truth is that you had terrorism under Netanyahu, you had terrorism under every prime minister. Um, it spends a lot on the chief of police, the chief of the armies, the others, and, and the aggressiveness with which they pursue it, Gantz seems to have given the order that and sustained the effort that they pursue everybody responsible for these kind of attacks. So I'm not sure that, um, you, you know, the overall tone can be set or the stability of the government may impact it because people feel that they can think, but the terrorist doesn't make a political analysis. He, he yeah. follows uh, other, other incentives to, to engage in this. Yeah, I hear that. Um, what do you think of the of the unexpectedly understated victory day of Vladimir Putin this week? I think it was uh, he had no choice. Uh, he put on display the army and some missiles and things, but uh, I don't think that the country would have uh, reacted positively to it. He had to communicate the tone of seriousness as people begin to realize that their kids aren't coming back but they haven't heard from them for a long time. And that the numbers, and I, I met this week with people, uh, let's say for leaders of other countries who are well-informed, and uh, the numbers they give of the what, the what they assess the casualties to be for, for the Russian army are astounding. And the, you know, that the Russians have very low tolerance for body bags that we saw it in Syria. We've seen it elsewhere. That's why they incinerate bodies or you've seen now how they uncovered bodies buried by the roadside in, in Ukraine of Russian soldiers. 
because they don't want him to come back and have to confront the families, and each funeral becomes a rallying point against the government, against the, the war, uh, that the, the, the numbers in the tens of thousands, they say, of, of people captured, killed, uh, kidnapped, um, wounded, and these, these, this toll will actually, at some point, uh, maybe not in its totality, but will become clear as families are informed or if they see that the, the family, the loved ones aren't coming back. So I think he, he was reflecting that and that it would not have been well received to have done too high a profile and too celebratory an event. And what about on the battlefield? Many thought that he would be making uh, many much stronger moves around May the 9th on the battlefield itself than he actually did in the Ukraine. Well, I think that the um, that it's not so much his direct actions, but that of the people he appointed. And I think they're looking at the fact that their equipment failed. I mean, who would buy Russian tanks today when they say they don't work and they they're so inferior? Uh, I mean, all the equipment that uh, that they had. So he is looking at the commanders in the field. The, the feeling is that, you know, there's such widespread corruption that things that he thought were being spent on tanks and high-quality equipment, uh, in fact, were a sham. I think a lot of people will, will pay the price. Many generals have been killed already. Some have been sacked by him, and killed in the war, but sacked in, in the political uh, arena. Uh, so I think there's uh, there's a lot of thinking and rethinking going on, a lot of accountability that will will have to be um, uh, measured, and the uh, and and the responses could be very serious for a lot of people in the higher ranks of the military. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved. NSN app uh, on the Sarah of Shabbos Parshas MR. Yes, we are one Parsha off from our brothers and sisters in Israel, that we know. Uh, and in terms of the um, uh, back to the Ukraine situation for a moment, what about Finland's move to join NATO at this point? What do you think? Well, they're taking advantage of, uh, of the situation. The, there's a lot of speculation about what Russia's response will be. I doubt that it will be military confrontation. Uh, they warned them in the past not to do it, but they know this is directly on Russia's border. Uh, I think Sweden will also make, take advantage of the moment to, to move, and NATO clearly moving quickly to, to approve their applications uh, as a response also to the situation. Um, but um, it's, it's not a major military shift in the balance. It is a strategic shift, having um, Finland Sweden and, and, a, and a reassertion of the significance of NATO, as we have seen through through this conflict. NATO, which was dormant virtually, and people there were those who wanted to write it off. There were those who thought the United States shouldn't be investing in it. I think today it, it is um, it is seen as a much more viable vehicle. Uh, were you surprised that the United States made the commitment financially they did this week to Ukraine? More than surprised, not by by the fact that they did it, but I, I have no idea how they're going to expend it. You know, they allocate a billion and a half dollars on Monday, and then Thursday all of a sudden come up with a proposal for $33 billion, which is a huge amount. And the question is, where, where is it going? How how will it, it be allocated equitably, I mean, and, and be checked that it's actually going to the sources and places 
where it's supposed to. Is it for military equipment? We'll, we'll have to see the breakdown of the of the allocation um, for helping uh, people in Ukraine. But this this I, I just don't see it. I don't see. I, I've tried to ask. I was in Washington yesterday to to get a better picture uh, of the breakdown. And many people seem to be asking the same question, including legislators. Yeah, I can imagine. And, uh, of course, there are many needs in this country, and people wonder about sending that kind of amount, that kind of money to you know, somewhere else for uh, at this time. Uh, not that financial aid for foreign countries has ever been, you know, um, uh, it's always been something that's, that's part of the United States and part of its, uh, uh, you know, international activities. I get it. Uh, but boy, with it, it's just a bad visual with all the different uh, uh, pe- with all the people here in this country who are now suffering from what looks like is going to be a recession and the you know the high inflation, etc. And we've and we've diminished and withdrew aid from others. Foreign aid usually makes up about a point one percent or a little bit over one percent of our of our budget. People focus on it because they keep saying we shouldn't spend money abroad, including you know attacking aid to Israel or others, right. uh, where it's an investment in American security, and we see that more and more in the Gulf, how important it is that when we withdrew our aircraft carriers, the, the impact it had on so many of our allies and the lack of confidence and the lack of clarity and where America obviously can't be everywhere all the time, but, but there are ways of conveying the message. I think the regional alliances that are emerging uh, are going to be of greater and greater significance. The one in the Mediterranean, as you know, we were just in Greece, Cyprus, Israel for um, visiting and strengthening the initiative we started 12 years ago to bring the three countries that now are forming the hub for what would be a much broader uh, uh, connection and alliance of countries uh, on the Mediterranean and into to the Gulf, linking to the Gulf and to many other countries in what I hope will be the next phase of, of the Abraham Accords in, in various forms. Um, but a lot of it is a response to the fact that they perceive an absence of America or a lack of consistency when we withdrew support for the for the East Med uh, pipeline. You know, it's one thing to say it's not financially viable, which may be true, but it's something you discuss with your allies when they were all caught off guard by the announcement. And now people are looking at it again because of the increase in price in, in, of fuel that it could become economically viable. But it's, it's the way we exercise uh, the policy and and um, create the presence and, and assure people. I think the visits uh, of the president to the region are going to be important to Israel, Saudi Arabia, maybe others. Um, again, all of this is not finalized, but this is. I think it's a very important to show the flag to 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 remind them of the commitment that we have. But they are looking more internally at each other and at Israel. And you see the joint maneuvers. I saw it when I was in Greece. I, I, I saw the first-hand descriptions and the um, excitement of the military there and in Cyprus of their association with Israel. But France is also present. Egypt wants to be part of it. Others are part of it. And the uh, exercises through eight, nine, ten countries, which is almost unheard of. You know, you just mentioned some countries that would probably be able to have some influence on the PA and others who might be responsible for terror attacks in Israel. Uh, you know, if, if they would decide to crack down, if they would decide to uh, assert their power, uh, it would probably help the situation somewhat. Unless you're telling me that Iran and others are backing these terrorists and there's no hope in terms of, uh, you know, someone actually controlling them. Iran and others are backing these terrorists. There is hope, but it's it's up to Israel to take the lead. The fact is that other countries, including Egypt, has helped in Gaza a great deal. Have Saudi uh, and then Jordan helped at all? Yes, they, they withdrew. Well, Saudi Arabia withdrew their funding. 
uh, from the PA and and, uh, and many of them have communicated messages. It, it is, Jordan is a separate case. You know, the King of Jordan is in Washington today. Um, it's the second visit. I think he's the only one who's been invited two times. But they've been playing a very duplicitous role, and, and this has been true over the years, but specifically and very visibly now at the Temple Mount incidents where they condemned uh, Israel right away, but more than that, the foreign minister or the prime minister gave a speech this week where he said it's, the Temple Mount is occupied territory, accusing Israel of usurping it and of, of declaring when it was Israel after 1967 that invited the Waqf in, which was created by Jordan. It is the trust that's supposed to be in charge. They don't do much to exercise restraint on, on parties. Um, and now the, and, and, and Jordan was looking to add 500 more security people to it and made a big brouhaha that Israel didn't seem to, didn't want it. Of course they don't want it. The, um, uh, so Jordan has played uh, a duplicitous role over the years, but now very blatantly uh, condemning Israel quick, uh, on the violence, not, not ascribing responsibility when they know themselves that they're the victims of this kind of incitement. But two-thirds of the population of Jordan are Palestinians. They play to their domestic constituency. I'm sure that he, they will come. the king will come here with complaints uh, about Israel, but he knows that Israel is what's propping them up, that Israel saved his kingdom so many times and has been so supportive and they each time close the eye, their eyes to some of these excessive reactions on the part of Jordan because they, they, uh, you know, they know that he, he's the, he's the best hope right now that if he falls, it could be civil war. It could be a bad, uh, you know, much worse parties coming to power. Remember Israel supplies a lot of water to, to Jordan as well. And, and as a result of previous agreements, very complicated to say the least. Wow. Um, um, why do you think that the, that the prime minister took on religious leaders of the past who may not have appreciated the importance of of Israel or what eventually would become Israel being the future of the the being being the place for the future of the Jewish people? I honestly don't know. I mean, he didn't check with me about his. His speech it was somewhat uh, bizarre. Just to, I mean, I, I get it. that at the yes, coming you know in the week of Independence Day, etc. Right. But there might have been something that prompted a statement, some something, but I don't know. And um, by with, the way, I just want to point out one thing that when on all the news last night was the embassy had its the Yom Atzmoot celebration in Washington, in a magnificent event. And there you saw Arab ambassadors, Ambassador UAE, Ambassador of uh, of um, uh, Turkey, the Ambassador uh, uh, of a number of Arab ambassadors were there, and a number of uh, I think I think the Omani told me that, not the Omani, the Bahraini told me he was coming. Uh, there were several more at an Israel Independence Day celebration, but that will never, of course, make. The news. Well, not only that, but in the context of history, it's just amazing if you pause for a moment and think about it. Uh, and I'm telling you, Nahum, when, when you travel the region, as I have in the last few weeks again, and see how how intense the relationships are, how they're growing, how more and more countries want in it some way or see it as as um, the essential road of the future. And it, it, it goes to energy, it goes to security, it, it has so many manifestations. As you know, the, um, uh, the president, the king of, uh, of UAE died this morning. Right. 
So we're due for a change there, although till now, in fact, MBZ has, uh, Mohammed bin Zayed has been running the country uh, de facto. Is uh, Turkey responding to the rocket attacks from Syria? They actually, re- the rocket attacks from Syria or the rioting, they, they re- the response to the rioting was actually much more muted. And as you know, he is on a charm offensive in various countries, visiting uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, visiting other countries, Qatar. Um, it's because of his internal situation. The economic situation in Turkey is terrible. His political situation is not good. The the um, you know the rivals have not been doing great. But the the fact is that he he and if the elections were held today, he would lose. Uh, right now, it's him against him. There's not that somebody else running against him. And the so his personal, political, and economic situations are terrible, and he's looking out. And one, of course, has been to improve his relationship with Israel. And so, his criticism of the of the violence was more muted than many of the other countries that, like the Abraham Accord countries, um, as response to it. Um, and in terms of uh, of Syria, you have to see now there's a rivalry going on, which of course hardly gets mentioned between Iran. And, and Turkey over who fills the void from um, uh, Russians with uh, retraction. They, they, you know, taken out tens of thousands of their soldiers from different positions and sent them to the Ukraine. And those voids are generally being filled by the militias of Iran, bringing in more manpower, etc. And Assad, as you saw, visited in the UAE and. Uh, and we'll, we'll do other things, but uh, but I visited in um, Iran, and he's and it was very uh, celebrated visit. And he expressed his gratitude and his uh, appreciation for. It. He did visit UAE before that, and the the uh, there's a shift taking place because Russia, we don't know what its future role will be there, but they they were balanced against both Turkey and Iran's presence. All three of them, while they belong to the Astana Accord. You know, to cooperate, it's only against the United States. But when they're left alone, at least two of the three always join against the third. So Iran, like Russia and, and Iran, will try to delimit Turkey and northern Syria, or Russia and, and Turkey will move against Iran's presence. And the so the situation there is continues to be unstable, even if, as Assad uh, extends his his influence. But his praise of the Iranians, it's the cooperation with the Iranians that were he demonstrated this week. Uh, went really to the limit. Interesting. And uh, with all of this and everything that we've discussed, and a week later, and I know I do bring this up almost every week, uh, Iran is nowhere in the headlines. If you even look at Jewish news sites and Israeli news sites, you won't find Iran anywhere when, of course, they, they are getting closer and closer uh, to being an even more dangerous enemy. And I, and I keep reading about or, or, or seeing headlines about uh, certain insistence by President Biden and his administration regarding the deal with Iran. What issue is that? What is it that they continue to insist upon? Well, let me. You're right that Iran doesn't get a lot of attention since the Ukrainian uh, war, um, because it's obviously more immediate. And uh, Iran is um, has blocked the negotiations because they're insisting on the IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, being removed from the foreign terrorist organization. Meaning, meaning the U.S. is insisting on that. No, that. Iran. Oh, that they are. They're, they're, they're also terrorists. Right. from the terrorism list. Right. 
and President Biden said that he wouldn't do it. Other Blinken said he wouldn't do it. Right. We weren't so sure, but it looks like that they are holding. There were our proposals even now being put forward by the Europeans. Borrell uh, has put forward some. He is the, the negotiator for the EU, uh, and he has uh, and Moro is in in Iran right now. Uh, in what they call a last-ditch effort. One of the signs is that in Vienna they had set up this tent for a big announcement, which they thought would be of the resumption of the talks and the thing, and they dismantled it, which means that they, they're not looking to any immediate uh, announcements. So Iran, on the one hand, is, is flirting with Russia. Russia plays a very significant role in Iran's decision-making on this issue internally, uh, as they did in Vienna, and the, they, they benefit from both ways, that if the sanctions continue, the oil prices stay high. If they don't, if Iran gets out of it, then they, they will ship their oil through Iran and use it as an export. Iran, on its part, you know, has increased its oil exports a great deal. Uh, they're up to a, a 1.2 million barrels a day, plus 300,000 that they sell through third parties to China. Uh, and at the price of oil today, it's, it's a huge windfall for them. They... Um, they face internal divisions and dissension from any kind of a concession on this, and the pressure from the RGC leadership is great for them to get off of the sanctions list. And uh, so Iran's absence from the headlines does not mean anything. Right now they announced, this week rather, that they built a, a nuclear reactor all from homegrown parts, all from internal. Is it completely true or not? We don't know, but they... But the fact that they announced and they said they're using it for medical isotopes, yes, that's, I'm sure, 100% the intent of building a reactor is for medical uh, uh, treatments of, uh, of people. So they are continuing to move ahead, as you said. They're, they are continuing their incitement in the region. Uh, thank God they didn't get the billions of dollars that would have come with a deal, which they would have spent as they are spending now against the government of Bahrain, against the governments in the, in the Gulf and in their uh, aggressiveness, seeking to undermine even in the last weeks, countries in the region and in Africa, we see their fingerprint, their footprint everywhere. And as I keep saying, and, and I'm waiting for people in the government to, to for this to resonate. And I, I've done it for a long time here. We're losing the whole continent of South America, which will pose huge security problems. We see election after election bringing to power. Extreme leftist people who are anti-American, certainly, and even anti-Israel, and the the growing influence there uh, and presence Russia, Turkey, uh, Iran, uh, the the um, Iranians are, are not sitting on their hands waiting for things to happen. They're neglecting their population. I think the internal situation is worse than ever. The shortages of food, the shortages of water, the um, economic conditions, and and the currency is worthless. So they, you know, they they are taking advantage of what they think is this hiatus and the focus on Ukraine to to harden their positions. But in the long run, I, I don't know that they can sustain it. Well, as long as everyone else allows this hiatus to continue, uh, you know, just they, it's it's it, not just sustained, but they're going to continue to make progress while the entire world is asleep at the wheel. Yeah, but it's progress on the on the nuclear front, right? And it means their breakout time has been reduced greatly. I, I don't even know if it makes sense to talk about you know long term distances when everybody said that in two three months they can have a nuclear weapon and that they have stockpiled so much enriched uranium, et cetera, et cetera. 
And we know that we're cheating all the time on during the JCPOA. So when people said, well, we, it was because we pulled out. No, they were doing it while we were in the agreement. And we should have come back with a really tough agreement that would have restricted them and not given them all the benefits until they really produce. Because this way they got the money, they got everything, and then they didn't have to really, they weren't really held to account as we see the facilities that they claimed they dismantled are back online and bigger and better and, and underground inside mountains that, um, uh, that, that the IEA, even this week again, said they have no access to it. Wow, unbelievable. Uh, well, I thank you, Mr. Holmline. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Have a great Shabbos, and be optimistic. We have great things also happening. Seriously, when I saw and had meetings this week in Washington with a lot of foreign ambassadors and things, it's there's great potential for the future. Well, I appreciate that. A lot of people on both sides of the world are very pessimistic these days. It's good to hear that there's reason to be optimistic. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time with a weekly update here at JM in the AM. Uh, this time each and every Friday, every hour of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, Spiritual Leader Emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good morning, Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Emor. Parshas Emor, according to the Chino, contains 24 positive mitzvos, 39 restrictions, for a total of 57 mitzvos. The parsha begins with the laws of the personal conduct of the Kohanim. The Kohen is not to attend funerals, not to be under the same roof as a deceased, not to um, go to a cemetery, unless for the seven uh, members, six immediate blood relatives and spouse that are enumerated. Interestingly, these are the relatives that one, if he loses them, does Sitshiva for. A Kohen cannot marry a divorcee. A Kohen cannot marry a convert. As found in the beginning of Parshas Emor. We have in Parshas Emor the Parsha of the Moadim, the holidays, which we are familiar with. And I'd like to point out something of note. And that is, understandably, the Parsha of the Moadim begins with Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkos. That's the way we would expect. However, take a look. Parsha the Moadim it begins with chapter 23. Take out a chumash. Bring it to the table tonight, tomorrow. And what do we see? The heading of the chapter is Tabera B'nai Yisrael, speak to them and tell them Moadei Hashem. These are Elehei Moadoi. But you don't have immediately Pesach Shavuos. What do you have? Sheishis Yomim Teosem Malacha. Six days you are to work. The seventh day is a Shabbos. You're not to work. And this is clearly the introduction. Because what goes next? These are the holidays. And then we go with the 14th of 
the first month, which is what we call Erev Pesach, that's the day that the Korban Pesach was slaughtered that day, is like a Yom Tov. After Chatzos, when you can bring the Korban, you don't sit Shiva. After Chatzos, you are to minimize your work because it has a flavor of a Yom Tov already. And afterwards come in proper succession all of the holidays. Good. But take note, my friends, that immediately after the holiday, chapter 23 concludes with the familiar verse of Vaidaber Moshe. As Mordei Hashem al Bnei Yisrael, Moshe spoke the holidays to the Jewish people. So we've got the five holidays down pat. You thought you're finished, right? No, go further. Sabbath Bnei Yisrael command the Jewish people and they should take to you. Shemin Zayezach, you are to take literally pure olive oil, the first pressings of the olive. And for what purpose? For the purpose of Lahalos Ner Tamid that there should be the lighting of the menorah constantly. And what do you find? Immediately thereafter, take fine flour, soles, bake 12 loaves, and they are to be placed on the shulchan. And what happens? Biyom HaShabbos, Biyom HaShabbos, every Shabbos, they are to be literally put in their place as the Gemara describes it, two koanim are ready to put on the new lechem upon him, showbread, two koanim at that moment make room for the new by taking off the old, and this is a fulfillment in the most literal sense that the lechem upon him are to be ta-mid, constantly there on the shulchan. But note as does Rav Tzvi Dov Kalatavsky in his Sefer, The Depths of Simplicity, that Shabbos is a bookend to the Moadim. It precedes the Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkos, and it follows thereafter with the Menorah and the um, showbread which was replaced, and by the way, it was eaten by the Kohanim for Shalosh Su'udos. The old Mishmar, meaning of the previous week, those Kohanim that were on duty, they had half of the loaves, and the new uh, Kohanim coming in, they had the other half of the loaves. Different opinions as to whether it was six and six, five and seven, but the bottom line is that it was eaten for Shalashudas. But take a step back and what is the phenomena that comes out? The Moadim are bounded by Shabbos. Whoa! And that is a thought I'd like to explain and as does Rav Kanatavsky's Achron Levracha. We know that the Yom Tovim commemorate the historical Pesach, Itzias Mitzrayim, Shavuos, Matan Torah, Sukkos, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sustained us in the desert, Ananei Kavod, for our protection for 40 years. Good. That is the historical aspect 
of the Chagim. But in addition to the historical aspect, there is the agricultural. After all, Eretz Yisrael is a country very much dependent on agriculture, as indeed we find at the end of Parshas Ekev in chapter 11 in the book of Devarim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Kla Yisrael in Shishi 11 Pasuk 10 This land, and I'm translating it for you, that you are coming to is not like the land of Egypt that where you left, where you would plant your seed and you would water it yourself like a vegetable garden. But the land to which you are going to cross over to possess it is a land of mountains, valleys, and from the rain of heaven it will drink water. Very important. Namely, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us that there's going to be that perfect interreaction, inter relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Jewish people, and the land, as we find expressed so well in two weeks in Parshas B'chukosai, the Torah says, and don't get me wrong, but the Ramban beat me to it, this is not a natural phenomena. What is the Torah saying? In you listen to me, then your rains will come in their proper time. And take a look in Parshas Pechukosai, chapter 26, starting with Pasuk Gimel, you have the flourishing of the land if you observe Torah and mitzvot. So, this is the special land that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving us, but He's giving us one thing. So now, on Pesach, we celebrate the Omer. What does that mean? We bring the Korban Omer on behalf of the entire nation, a Korban, an offering of barley, because that is when the barley crop ripens. On Shavuos, the only biblical mitzvah connected with Shavuos is to bring the Shtehalechem, to bring two loaves of wheat into the base Hamigdash. Why? Because that's when the new wheat grows and the fruits Bikurim. And finally, Sukkos is the time of Chaga Osif in gathering the produce as well as what we will see in a moment in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. So there's a double aspect to each of the holidays, not just the historical Yitzhiyas Masrayim Matan Torah and Anani Kavod, but there is the agricultural, thank you Hashem for the barley, thank you Hashem for the wheat, thank you Hashem for your providing all the crops. Chag good. Where does all this bracha come from? And the Torah is telling us, wait, you want to know? I'm going to show you exactly where. The same way that the Rashbam writes here on our parsha, where the Torah says that you are to take 
the oil. And you are to, um, come on, uh, have the menorah lit, says the Rashbam. It was in front of me a second ago. Come on. Yeah, go back a page or two. Yes, here we go. Parshazu says the Rashbam regarding the oil. Nishnes is taught to us, because after all, it was already taught in Tetzaveh. Lefisha menorah nocha Listen to this, my friends. The menorah is a cross from the shulchan, the table. La'ir el shulchan To literally lighten the shulchan. Shalav lechem aponim shemefurashkan. On the shulchan was the lechem aponim. The lechem aponim say the mefarshim, the chinuch, and others are significant. We put, give weekly bread sustenance to the shulchan and Hashem rewards us in kind. The menorah symbolizing Torah, symbolizing Hashem, is lighting the shulchan, illuminates it. There is this beautiful sink between the ruchnius and the gashmius, between the menorah and the shulchan. And now, what is Shabbos? You know, we're going to sing it, or say it, tonight in L'chad Dodi. Kihi mekor habracha. What does that mean? Let us go and greet the Shabbos. Why? Because it is the source of bracha. Now think about this for a moment. Is it not just beyond the natural understanding? But by our abstaining from work on Shabbos, from our not doing something which we would call all week long productive, we are enabling the productivity and blessing for the week to occur. Hashem says, you don't work on Shabbos, and I will make sure that Shabbos is the blessing for the forthcoming week. That, the Orachayim HaKadosh says, explicitly in Bereshis, right after on the Psukim in Vayachulu, that we're going to say tonight, and that is found explicitly in the Zohar on the Aseris Adibros that Shabbos is the Makor Habracha the source of sustenance for the whole week. Ah now it makes sense we learn from Shabbos that every week, every Shabbos, we have this idea that the Ruchnius, amazing, is almost an oxymoron. It almost is something that is a stira mineyubay. By our not doing, Hashem does. Wow. Basically, a remuna. We are yielding to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Everything comes from you. This is why I believe Shabbos is the bookends to the Moadim, because all the success that we are so grateful for in each of the holidays comes from the concept of Shabbos. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, very quickly, Tezayin base. Why, says the Gemara, are we told to bring the Omer? 
in order that your grain, barley, should be blessed. And why do we bring the Shtei Alechem? In order that the wheat and payroll should be blessed. And why do we have the Niso Chamayim, pouring of the water on Sukkos, to bless the rains for the year? Just as Shabbos, which is hidden, but what's hidden in it? It's Megale, the Brachos, for the entire week. So too is Lagba Omer coming up this forthcoming Thursday, the yard site of Reb Shimon Bayochoi. So what are we celebrating? Not that he died, but the kind of life that he lived. And on the day of his death, he revealed many, many secrets of Torah. Ah, the idea to reveal. That is what we have and are so enriched by the additional Torah that Reb Shem Bar Yechoi gave us. Remember, it's beautiful connection with Shabbos, because Shabbos too is the revelation of bracha from week to week. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Shabbat medley. It's relatively new, and uh, there it is for you at a JMM Friday morning era of Shabbos. Candle lighting at the 744 in New York. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Many communities have a different candle lighting time. Make sure you know when things start where you are. For New York, we're calling it officially for 744 in this era of Shabbos parashas. MR, we read MR outside of Israel. Uh, I believe they're reading Bahar in Israel, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, <laughs> today is day number 27 in the counting of the Omer, day number 27. Uh, three weeks and six days. Um, again, day number 27 in the counting of the Omer, three weeks and six days. We forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. Tomorrow night is Pesach Sheni, which means tomorrow night and Shabbos is Pesach Sheni. I didn't realize until I saw it in the Luach. And some people don't say Tzidkas Chatzedek tomorrow at Mincha for that reason, and some people do not say Tachanun, although I think I knew that one about Tachanun on the Pesach Sheni this coming Sunday. That many people will not say Tachanun because it's Pesach Sheni. Lag Baomer is Thursday, and we are anxious to get back into our regular format, and that'll happen on Thursday here at JM in the AM. So make sure to be tuned in, and thanks for joining us on this Erev Shabbos broadcast. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net and try A&H today. And a reminder that our friends at Art Scroll have an incredible set sale going on. 26% off on a whole variety of sets. Uh, check out the website at artscroll.com. And in order to get your uh, free shipping and your big discount, make sure to use promo code radio. You want your uh, free shipping. You want your major discount. Make sure to use promo code radio when you go to artscroll.com. That is the rule. When you're on artscroll.com, always use promo code radio. You'll always get a great discount. You'll always get free shipping. And uh, it is well worth it to remember that. Always use promo code radio at artscroll.com. All righty. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. Shemelecha, Shemelecha, Venashuva, 
I'm done by uh, the group from uh, uh, Hasidish Otros here at JM in the AM. Um, Erev Shabbos, and yes, according to listener Moshe, uh, the minig is to argue about whether Tachanun is said on Sunday, Pesach Sheni, and whether Tzitkos Chatzedek is said tomorrow. <laughs> that is the custom. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, on this Erev Shabbos, candle lighting at 744 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Day 27 in the counting of the Omer. If you got to count last night, it's three weeks and six days. Make sure to count some time today. Pesach Sheni does begin tomorrow night. Pesach Sheni is on Sunday. Lagba Omer is Thursday. We'll hopefully get back into our regular format on Thursday. So join us for that. 
That, to me, is really important, getting back into a regular format. <laughs> and I think, based on the reaction from many people out there, it's pretty important uh, for a lot of people out there as well to get back into a regular format. So that's the goal. Time to take a Chavez with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Tommy, Sarah, and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners, sponsored digital radio. Round the world of web at AlchemSingle.com and the Single Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday here at JM and AM. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Don't forget that we have uh, incredible programming coming up right now. Table for Two is brand new with Naomi Nachman. Naomi Nachman, brand new Table for Two. And that's coming up next between 9 and 10. Shalav Yoetzet Halacha, Atara Ice, Esther Anzarut from GlutenFree.sy. And certified nutritionist uh, Jamie Felt, all part of uh, Table for Two. Erev Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Saturday Night Seagull, tomorrow night with Avrami. Uh, JM Sunday with Matis uh, coming up Sunday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to join Matis live for that. Great programming all through the weekend. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.